All right, everyone, thanks for joining. It is August 17th, 2023. This is episode 59 of the Hack My Homestead podcast. And today I've got an interview with Cody Hanner from thehomesteadeducation.com. Super excited to have Cody on. Uh, she's been or homeschooling her kids for seven years now and homesteading at the same time. So really excited to jump in with her and uh, find out about all the stuff that she's got going on. So let me, Cody, can you hear me? I can. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to talk to you today about homeschooling and your homesteading journey at the same time. For sure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this? It sounds like you uh, kind of grew up in uh, agricultural ranching space. So tell us about you. Absolutely. I, you know, I kind of joke that I am a black sheep of the homesteading world because I kind of grew up doing this, but in a different sense. Um, we didn't, I mean, of course, we didn't call it homesteading. We just called it life. Right. <laughs> um, my dad, he, I always like, my dad had this really amazing story that I think just really builds as to who I am. When he was 13, he lived in Middle Tennessee and he hitchhiked out to California. And by the time I was born, he owned three shipyards down the coast of California. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, we hadn't, he had a cattle ranch at that point too. And so I grew up with just this really entrepreneurial mindset mm -hmm. that you just take on everything that you possibly can um, because there's a way to get it done. Right. And so we had the cattle ranch. Um, I did 4-H. My dad was a hunting guide. Uh, I guided hunts from the time I was about 15 till I was almost 30. Um, it's now, just what really, kind of hunts? Uh, pig hunts, mainly. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize how many pigs there are in California, but the yep. wild pig population there is insane. And they can take out an entire vineyard in a night. Right. Yeah. So we did a lot of that. And... Um, yeah, I, it just seemed natural to major in agriculture at that point. And I worked in commercial ag for 10 years. And when my husband and I decided we wanted the heck out of California about eight years ago, um, we moved to Oregon first and we started our farm. And after a year or so, we started homeschooling our kids, realized that was a better choice for us. Mm -hmm. And um, about a year before the pandemic, we were like, my husband got diagnosed with liver disease and we were like, okay, we need to change how we do everything. Okay. And we bought 40 acres in Idaho and kind of the rest is history on that one. I mean, we homeschool, we homestead, we grow about 80% of our own food or locally source it. Wow. So that was that a bit of a culture shock for you going from California to Oregon to Idaho or because you were already on the agricultural side of it, it's kind of talking to same people, just different space? Exactly. Most people don't realize how rural Northern California is. Mm-hmm. I actually don't see a huge difference between Northern California and North Idaho. Right. Um, at least when it comes to a lot of the people I deal with, the terrain, those types of things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so how many kids are you homeschooling? You've got a small army, don't you? We do. We have six kids. Um, okay. Two are actually already graduated. Okay. Um, I'm homeschooling three right now, two 14-year-olds and a six-year-old. My three-year-old thinks he's being homeschooled. <laughs> but um, he's kind of, we call him Stitch because he's a little feral. Okay. And so like at three and a half, he still doesn't talk. So we just kind of roll with what he does. Um, the kid's brilliant. Like 
the other day. I don't know what went through his head, but he decided that one of our dogs needed an IV. Okay. And so he went to the like the cabinet and gathered up all the things you need to start an IV and tried to start an IV on our dog. So, you know. Okay. <laughs> and that three-year-old, he knew where the supplies were and, and what he needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had the tubing, he had a needle, he had a bag of fluid and some anti-nausea meds. Okay. Uh, maybe <laughs> so, he saw the dog throw up or something and he said, hey, I need to help a dog out. I don't know. Like he disappeared for a couple of minutes, which is always a bad sign with this kid. And... <laughs> He comes out, he's got like the tube wrapped around his arm and he's like, Dixie girl. And he's like trying to, uh, you know, get the needle in her leg. And I was like, <laughs> full meltdown, but kind of a proud moment at the same time. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is excellent that he knew where to go. He knew what to get. He knew what the process was. That means mm -hmm. he's paying attention and, and he's learning when, with the other kids. So yeah, he just doesn't care you, to talk to us. You've got this pretty wide range. You've got ones that have already graduated and all the way down to a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage homeschooling when you have, so we homeschooled our girls, but they're 20 months apart. So mm -hmm. there wasn't a ton of differential between what they were learning at any one time. How do you handle that massive gap and, and the different levels of the kids? Um, I kind of got lucky when I first started homeschooling. And I don't know if this was luck or not, but my uh, stepsons, which are my older boys, which the nature of our family relationship, they're my sons, but um, they mm -hmm. were a little behind. They had just lost their mom a couple of years before we were just kind of trying to help them. And so they were a little behind like math wise and English, whereas the twins are actually... They were four years younger than the boy, the youngest boy, but they were really ahead. So I okay. was able to right off the bat, teach everybody the same math, the same English. And then we would use age appropriate history, but I would make sure everybody was doing U.S. history at the same time or world cultures or whatever it was we were doing that year. Mm -hmm. And that's really worked now that um, a couple. So our oldest son, he has gone off, done his own thing. Um our 18 year old, he's actually at 15. He said, I can't do school anymore. And my husband and I were like, thank goodness. Cause we weren't going to survive teaching you three more years. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a little challenging. I mean, some of my listeners who followed me for a while, um, he has ADHD and ODD. Okay. Which is oppositional defiance disorder. So a lot of people, even when they learn about that at first, they think, you know, that they're just oppositional to, you know, us telling him what to do. Um, he's oppositional, not only to authority figures, but also to social norms. Okay. So, I mean, even just the most random things, like he only wants to wear cowboy boots. So he will only wear cowboy boots. I can buy him muck boots. He's out in the pig pen with cowboy boots. Um, he got a job recently. He's supposed to wear a certain type of work boot and he will only wear his cowboy boots. Like, I mean, it is like almost like, it reminds me of my autistic son too, you know, like, I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, I mean, he would literally sit at the kitchen table and pretend to do work for four hours. Wow. And then I'd say, let me see your work. And it would be blank. And he would try to convince me that I erased it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, when he was like, I can't do school anymore, we were like, bye, what's your plan? <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll help you do something else. Exactly. Yeah. And so his plan was he we gave him a year. We and he said, I'll get a job, I'll pay all my own bills. Cause you know, at this point at 
in Idaho, you can get your driver's license at 15. So okay. he wanted to get his driver's license. He wanted to save up for a car. And we're like, okay, like our other kids, we pay that for them because they're doing, you know, they're doing school and stuff. So we're willing to cover those expenses. And he was like, I will cover it if you let me out of school. Mm -hmm. So he got a job for our neighbor. Our neighbor has a maggot farm. And he ended up basically running the maggot farm for about a year. Um, during that time, he paid all his bills. He bought himself a really nice truck. And then he got offered a job as an electrician's apprentice. And now that's what he's been doing for the last two years. And he's by choice working on his own GED so that he can take the journeyman program. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that is a that is a great example of empowering your kids to be self-aware enough to know what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then empowering them to actually follow that, right? So right. Mm -hmm. society, there's all these expectations that you do this and you do that. And by this age, you should be able to do this math. And by that age, you should know these things about how to write a sentence or to identify the verb and the noun and the adverb and all of those things. We struggle a lot with that with our girls because our girls did a great job with learning, mm -hmm. but we didn't subscribe to, well, at, you know, 15, they should know X, Y, and Z and algebra and geometry and all this stuff. It was more, we want them to enjoy learning. We want to empower them to learn about things that they're interested in. We're fine with them taking some time off when they're burnt out or whatever the case may mm -hmm. be. We're fine with them enjoying the summer when it's nice out and they want to play instead of, uh, you know, do schoolwork. And the, re the end result is similar to your son. We've got kids that are self-aware and mm -hmm. they aren't, you know, my older daughter just graduated and she didn't go off to college. All the kids that she graduated high school with went off to college. And I talked to some of her friends. I'm like, OK, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm not really sure. OK, well, so how are you paying for college? Well, student loans. I got a little bit of a scholarship over here. And it's like, man, that's a, that's a lot. That's a big leap to because of societal norms take on debt without any idea of how you're going to make money to pay for that debt down the road or whether the debt funded degree is going to have anything to do with what you actually like to do. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, how, how you, you said you've got uh, two 14 year old twins. Is that right? Yeah. And, and so, uh, so then you said those, they're a little bit further along. Are they kind of the same way they're really thinking about what they like and what they want to do. Like, tell me about, you know, the one, the oldest ones that are in the program right now. Yeah. So they, they very much know what they want to do. And if that doesn't work out for them, they have these like backup plans that are still in the same window. If that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Like my daughter, she has always wanted to be a vet. And I know a lot of girls, you know, they go through the phase. I don't know that she has ever shown interest in anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, she reads animal husbandry books for fun. She asks for stethoscopes for Christmas. I mean, she's, wow. this is her thing. Um, but she's also had really open conversations with me about, I want to go to college. This is what I want to do. But I want to major in, you know, perhaps wildlife biology or um, even ag, like do ag science or animal science and mm -hmm. like ag business with it. She's like, because I know there's a lot of other fields I can go into if I get in, if I start going to school for something I already know I love, but then decide that vet school isn't right for me. Right. 
So she she's already evaluated some adjacent industries that she can move mm -hmm. into to do to be around the industry that she wants to be around without necessarily following all the way through with the vet school piece because that's yeah. a that's a it's big a deal. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, she is severely dyslexic and has dysgraphia which she pushes through really well, but mm -hmm. you know, it might get to the point that at when she's looking at vet schools, that that may not be something that she can overcome at that point. And she's comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Whereas my son, um, he always wanted to be an engineer. And recently he's like, mom, I just want to be a farmer. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. well, there's something, you know, known as an ag engineer. And I mean like, bam, like eyes wide open. He is, he still wants to be a crop farmer, but he's like, I could be a crop farmer and then I could design like new equipment for my cows and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's actually a really legit business. And so I, I have him working on a project that I want to sell through my business to see if he can figure it out and engineer it and figure out a way to have it manufactured. So he's already working on those skills. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. So with you having kids all the way through the different ages, uh, are there groups in your area that you're a part of, like co-ops or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Or are you doing all this by yourself? Well, I mean, as far as their actual education, I do it all myself. My husband helps. Um, he's a disabled vet, so he's home with us. And so we do it where um, I'm really busy running my business and he's busy with our farm. So he'll go out in the mornings, like while I'm doing morning work with the kids and do some farm chores. And then he comes in around lunch and that's when I do like their algebra lesson with them. And he sits in on the algebra lesson and then I go about my business okay. at that point. And then he's there to answer questions for them. And they only pull me back in if neither of them can find the answer. And that's really helpful. And then we are involved with a co-op, which it is an academic co-op, but it's very... It's more, we're in a very rural area. So it's a chance for the kids to come together, have social time in an academic setting and learn how to learn alongside other kids, learn a little bit of, you know, competition and expectations. Um, our co-op mm -hmm. doesn't, um, doesn't really do any homework. Um, they don't have big lessons that they follow. They go in, they get a lesson, you know, they're taking like debate. And so they'll go in, they'll learn a debate thing and they're like, okay, we're doing a debate next week go ahead and do some research on it. So you're ready to have your debate, but they don't have like full blown stuff. And then I teach my classes there. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit about utilizing the scientific method as kind of like the idea around uh, teaching your kids and homeschooling your kids. So those of us as homesteaders, we know that every day is a new experiment. Mm -hmm. You are trying to figure it out even things that you know how to do, it's still changing. And so everything I do around the homestead, I bring the kids in on it is, you know, as long as I have time, if I don't have time, I bring them in during dinner conversation. And we use the scientific method as our problem solving mm -hmm. or our decision-making method. So, you know, we go through it. We talk about what do you think is going to happen? You know, our, our research and our hypothesis, we, we do research with it. And I teach the kids, um, you know, how to find um, reliable sources. Um, we definitely live in an age where there's a lot of unreliable sources out there and not necessarily because they're wrong, but they just don't apply to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I teach a lot on that with 
um, you know, I'm a influencer, you're an influencer. We're teaching good things, but that doesn't mean that it applies to every family, every region, every species. And so I teach them how to find, you know, good, reliable sources. And then we make a decision on how to handle things on our homestead together through um, experimenting if we need to. We keep track of records and then come up with how we want to handle it and how what we want to try next. So some of it's as small as, hey, kids, my herbs are dying in the window. What do you think we should do about it? Mm -hmm. I have ideas, I've, but I've struggled growing herbs. It's just one of my things. And so I have really great herbs outside. I don't have great herbs inside. Um, and so we we're working through that together right now, which is, you know, let's make sure that only one person is watering them. Cause you know, a lot of times the kids go in and do dishes and they're like, Oh, that looks a little dry, you know? And then my husband oh, yeah. goes by and goes, Oh, it's Monday. I need to water the plants, you know? Um, you know, should we open the window for them once in a while? Should we, and then we, you know, we talk about it like, well, since we've had the window open, we've actually seen them looking worse, you know, and those types of things. That's just a small one. That's just a conversation that we're constantly having versus mm -hmm. we've struggled with our pigs making weight for County fair for a couple of years now. And we raise hogs. We have 300 piglets that go through our property a year. I have nine sows. And so we're actually starting an entire feed trial this fall. Where I have piglets that um, I've kept the moms on their maintenance feed and just increased their feed amount versus I'm starting one where I have my sows on like a piglet starter feed a week before they farrow and then keeping those piglets on it through 12 weeks and seeing what their weaning weights are and then what their overall growth rate is over six to eight months. I think we have a little bit of a delay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, perfect it. example of we make our observations, we come up with a um, uh, an educated guess of what's happening and how we're going to fix it. And then we mm -hmm. design an experiment and we carry it out and we check the results and if the results aren't what we want, then we change the experiment. And if they are, then we replicate it and try to get the Hard same over, results yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah, I always say, you think we're done, but we're not. That's just the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, basically we use it for an educational process, right. which we, I have a, like a printout that we use that the kids can keep track of it if they're using it for school or 4-H or something like that versus... Um, sometimes it's just a conversation. It, it helps us with our problem solving. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. I think I'm having a little bit of an internet, uh, connectivity issue. Um, let me just, uh, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit slow, but I was getting a little bit jumpy on you, but we should be recording on both ends. So everything should be fine once okay. everything gets posted. Um, and so no your youngest. So we could catch up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so your youngest is three and he's not technically a participant in the homeschooling, but he's a participant on the homestead. And oh, so yeah. does, is he kind of following his six-year-old brother around and, and just really observing everything that's going on there? Is that kind of how he is absorbing all of that? So much. Oh, and he like, he is glued to my husband. So 
my husband's always working on equipment. Mm -hmm. I caught him out there trying to jumpstart a tractor the other day. So he just wants to do everything that everyone else is doing. Um, recently, my six-year-old got promoted to chicken manager. Um, the kids get management jobs. So my six-year-old got promoted to chicken manager. And so my little guy, Branch, he wants to be as part of it as anything. So that we got our... Uh, Wade, my six-year-old, got his first opportunity to do chickens from start to finish. So he helped me pick them out online. Then he went with me to the post office to pick them up. Um, he handled them in the brooder. He handled them moving out to the chicken tractor. Um, his 14-year-old brother helped him move the chicken tractor every couple of days, but he was still part of it. Um, and then uh, come butcher day, he helped they both helped with butchering, you know, the little guy followed brother around during the whole feeding process and stuff, but then they both helped with butchering. They watched the whole process, um, carrying chickens over to dad after he'd already, you know, dispatched them. And, um, then they helped me cook dinner. And so they nice. got to all the way from picking out their birds, all the way to helping me put it on the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I That's let them have these. Yeah. I give them to them as management positions so that it's not just, it's your job to go feed. It's your job to manage these birds completely. Mm -hmm. I so obviously other than, them at the younger ages. <laughs> right. Other than uh, chickens, what else are you guys doing on your homestead? So pork is our biggest um, product. We raise that for ourselves, but then I also sell Piglets, whole hogs, half hogs, and retail cuts, and then of course breeders. Um, <clears throat> and then we have dairy cows, we have beef cows, laying hens, meat hens. Um, we actually, I just bought two underweight lambs from fair that we're going to go ahead and feed out this year. And so one will be for the family, one will be for our farm store. Mm -hmm. And then um, we have two gardens and an orchard, and then about 40 acres worth of foraging property where we hunt forage and even have a pond that we fish off of wow wow that is a lot to maintain <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot um you know luckily the way we do it where about half of our property is like foraging style property mm -hmm. i just um we run the cows on it a little but not a lot um we just keep it where we can hike it hunt it um and then yeah it, we just live in a place where the foraging is there okay that's nice um, the pond, you know, we just make sure we stocked it a while back and we've been able to fish it every year. Um, we don't get all of our fish from there, but it's an option. Nice. And then we hunt a little on the property. Um, I let the kids get an animal off the property every year. And then we do the rest of our deer and elk hunting in the woods. Okay. And in Northern Idaho, is that whitetail or is that mule deer? We have both actually. Oh, okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a little, just happened to be in this little spot where they come together. So we only have three weeks of mule deer hunting every year where we have like, uh, I want to say 10 weeks of whitetail. Okay, I got you. And then do you have moose there at all or are you too far mm -hmm. south for moose? You have moose? No, we definitely have moose in the area. Um, you Is only get a, possible get a moose tag? Yeah, it's like you get one a lifetime. And I'm like, okay. I'm not even going to start putting in for tags until I know where I can consistently find a moose <laughs> there you go but and, i've seen several but you, guys have, but you have elk there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we actually the neighbors have depredation tags which is 
you know, the tags that you can get if the elk are damaging your crops. Mm -hmm. And then I think they get five elk tags a year um, because they have a herd of elk that literally just lives on their property and takes out their alfalfa every year. Wow. And so we get most of our elk there and we've actually, they killed a big cow elk a couple winters ago and they didn't have the room for it. We have the walk-in cooler and stuff. And so they just showed up at our house at midnight and they're like, do you want an elk? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I mean, yeah, it was three days. Like we didn't have the freezer space for it. So it was like three days of drying, uh, smoking sausages, canning burger. (laughs) Like it was insane. But the whole family jumped in and we got it done. That is amazing. So with cattle, I I don't, well, I guess, let me ask this in two, two phases. With cattle, uh, do you have to bring in a lot of hay to feed in the winter or can you grow some on your own property? How do you handle that overwintering? Um, we can get a little grass hay off our property. We do cut and bale that every year, but we only get like 90 bales of grass hay, which isn't a real doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it, but we will use it as a supplement, especially for um, our dairy cows. We you have to be careful with too high of an alfalfa for them, especially when they're near um, calving because you can cause milk fever. Mm-hmm. Um, our pigs like some grass hay and with their grains, just something to do all day. Keeps them busy in the wintertime and that extra fat on them. Now, um, but our dairy cows and our beef cows in general, we will bring in like a grass alfalfa mix. Um we do, I think we need 20 tons a winter. Okay. Um, luckily, the same neighbors that have the depredation permits, my husband does all their mechanic work for them in trade for that hay. There you go. There's a there's a lesson for all you homesteaders out there. <laughs> um, there's value in knowing a trade and being able to, uh, to trade that knowledge and that ability. Um, because sometimes you know something that you can't necessarily turn into a job or maybe you don't want to turn mm-hmm. that into a job, but you can turn it into value for your neighbors or other people in your community uh, and in return get things that are helpful for you. So if you're getting that many tons of hay every year in return for you know doing some mechanic work, I'd say that's a, that's a great trade. And, and when your husband goes off to do that work, he literally just goes from one property to the other. He mm-hmm. doesn't have a 30, 45 minute commute like most people do. So, and I can take um, him lunch right there in the field. Right, right, right. So I started to ask this question earlier and I forgot to circle back to it, but <laughs> do you even pay attention to what kids are quote unquote supposed to know at certain ages or you, do you just say, Hey, look, the kids are going to learn at their pace and it's more important for them to know and, and to to like learning than to necessarily know how to do, you know, uh, some sort of algebraic function by the time that they're 13 years old. Right. Um, I do a little of each, honestly. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of joke that we're traditional eclectic unschoolers. (laughs) I love that. Okay. You know, that means that a couple days a week, I am really structured. Like we get our Mm -hmm. math and our English in and make sure that they have those skills that they need for their base. Now, whether or not they're doing exactly where they need to be, it's whatever makes sense to us. Like Mm -hmm. we've actually done algebra twice because they were really good at math. We got into algebra and they hit a wall and they weren't comfortable with it. And I said, let's walk away from it for the year. Um, I travel to homeschool conventions with my kids for my business. And so I took them to every single one and said, look at every algebra curriculum here and find one that makes sense to you. Mm. I let them pick a lot of their own curriculum because then they're on board. 
Um, yeah. And then we, we all get a one veto a year. So if we find a curriculum that everybody hates and it makes life miserable, out the window it goes and we buy a new one and it actually makes it where then we're starting new curriculum a couple times a year. So it mm. keeps life fresh. Right. And, um, you know, with algebra, like I said, we just walked away from it for six months. We did not do math. I got you. Um, I mean, at least not that type of math. They're traveling from my business. They're working on the farm. They're doing math all the time, but not that structured math. Right. Um, so whereas like my daughter, she's really dyslexic. And so she, as a freshman, she's doing about seventh grade English um, because I'd rather her get that overall learning and, mm -hmm. you know, be able to have constructive conversations and put together a good story or put together some sort of good writing than to worry about whether or not she's at grade level. Right. Right. And then instead of sitting with her and like making her do like syllable learning um, to try to uh, learn to spell or something like that. She types out a lot of her work where she gets the instant feedback so she can learn to spell there. And then she actually teaches my six-year-old his English. Mm, okay. So that's where she gets, gets to relearn all her fundamentals. Yeah, no, that's uh, what is that stat? You'll, you, you retain 90% of what you teach and 10% mm -hmm. of what you hear. So, exactly. No, that's that's a that's a great that's a great strategy. And I would say that uh, for those of you like me that have kids really close together, uh, that doesn't mean you can't find other kids in your area or homeschool mm -hmm. communities where you can have your kids do the exact same thing. You could have your 14 year old teach someone else's six year old yeah. the difference between yeah. a verb and an adverb because um, mm -hmm. it will re really reinforce within them. Um, you know, the, those lessons. Our co-op actually um, lets the teens teach the younger classes sometimes. Okay. That's great. So mm -hmm. is there any requirement for like standardized testing for homeschooling where you are? Not where we're at. In fact, okay. the Idaho state law for homeschooling is that you should teach kids from six to 16, the core subjects. Mm -hmm. should. Just should. Mm -hmm. That's what the law. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole law. Um, that's great. States have requirements for standardized testing, um, but most of them, there's a couple that I haven't dove too deep into, but even like when we lived in Oregon, they had a law for that. I think Missouri does. I, I tried to stay up on it, but there's a lot of states mm -hmm. out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so even, we even know in Tennessee. Pass, okay. No, go ahead. Oh, even if they don't pass their standardized test that doesn't mean that they immediately like come in with CPS and pull your kids out of the house. They say, Hey, are you guys struggling? Where can we help you? So usually right, most families right. have an opportunity to correct if they even feel like they need to correct. Yeah. For, for Tennessee, the rule is there are three different uh, grade or age groups where you have, you're supposed mm -hmm. to do standardized testing. If you are doing straight up traditional homeschooling. Uh, but that does not apply if you are a uh, teacher in what they call a satellite school. And mm -hmm. so a satellite school, for example, would be, a uh, church school in your area that allows you to be a teacher in that school and your house to be a satellite campus and you're just teaching your kids. 
And so that's actually what we did uh, when we were in Tennessee is we joined the farm school, which is in Summertown, Tennessee, and uh, became satellite teachers on a satellite campus. And they even have events where like everyone can come in that's a satellite campus and talk to different uh, kids or, or adults, the teachers, as well as talk to the teachers in their actual school, like what you're talking about. If you need help yeah. with, you know, we just quadratic equations. We just don't, I don't get it. My kid doesn't get it. We don't, can't get over the hump and they can, they'll actually share. Okay. Well, you know, think about this, or here's a curriculum that we used for people that were having similar problems and share that information. But, you know, for us, it was really, you know, the whole standardized testing thing. We thought that that was just a great way to add a whole lot of stress to a kid that they didn't necessarily need. And right. so we joined as a satellite uh, school mm -hmm. Just to, and it was like 90 bucks a year was our membership fee and it covered both kids. So um, that's amazing. if you're in Tennessee and you don't want to have to do the standardized testing, that's your, that's your hack. I love that there's a lot of loopholes for this type of teaching. And I actually, some of the stuff that I have on my site, like the printout of the scientific method or planner pages, I talk about how you can use those as a loophole for the hours that you need for homeschooling. Right, right. Yeah, we we didn't really ever follow the hourly thing. We I think ours was probably even a little bit more unstructured than yours. We had specific things that the kids had to do every day. Mm -hmm. And then outside of that, it was like, OK, you know, we want you to watch a documentary, but you get to choose <laughs> what kind of documentary it's on. Right. Um, you know, we made them write one page essay per day. Uh, it turned, we found out like years later when they were coming clean that they would start recycling them, you know, cause when you've got 200 essays for that year <laughs> and you turn in one that you turned in 150 days ago, mom and dad aren't paying that much attention to know. So they were right, actually smart enough to figure me. out a way like to game the system. They do like one essay a month in my house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we never did like, okay, the everyday thing or the, the, mm. you know, it was like Monday through Friday, you have these certain things, but outside of that time, uh, it was really very unstructured, mm. but because, uh, so at the time that we first started homeschooling the kids, I was working, I was, I traveled a ton for work, so I was gone mm. a lot, but my wife stayed at home. And so, you know, even when you're not quote unquote teaching your kids or homeschooling them, you're still having conversations with them all the time. And every one of those is an opportunity to teach or the opportunity to introduce a new concept that, that, you know, helps build on the concept that you talked about two weeks ago. Yep. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, you know, like I said, we do a couple days of like really structured, like you need to get your stuff in. Other than that, my goodness, we're, we're learning while doing. It's mm -hmm. the farm. It's my business. It's 4-H. It's the fire department. You know, that's where they're learning. Right. So how many trips are you guys taking as a family every year to homestead or homeschool conferences? Um, in the past, it was a couple a year. This year was 19. Uh -huh. Ooh. <laughs> I listened to one of your recent podcasts and you were talking about all the different things. And I was just like, how do you run a homestead? You've got like four or five different lines within your business. Yep. You're writing curriculum. 
you've got six kids and you're going to 19 uh, conferences. And I think you're hosting one as well next month. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a great team. All right. So tell us. Uh Okay. Okay. Um, The conference is not everybody goes to every conference. So one kid goes to me or my husband, if we have um, someone who can step in, they only one person goes with me to each conference, unless it's like a local conference. Um, And then we did take everybody to one homeschool conference this year as a group. Um, And we did it as like the twins eighth grade graduation. And we went to SeaWorld and just made it a fun trip. And then we're all driving to Homesteaders of America this year. And then a week later, we're at Indiana Homesteading Conference. So we'll all be there. You're going to drive from Oregon to Virginia. Yeah. Well, Idaho, but we love it. We did it last year in a motorhome. This year, we're going to do it in an SUV because the motorhome was horrible. (laughs) And then we just hire a farm sitter. And then I have an assistant that works in the house three days a week. So she knows our whole family routine and stuff. So, you know, she'll be here hanging out with the dogs and, you know, letting me know if the farm sitter showed up and that type of thing. So I have somebody that's here. I got you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I think the one I listened to, you were just coming back from that conference and I just, in my head, I'm thinking all of these trips with all of these kids <laughs> and everything else, but it makes a lot more sense that that one trip served multiple purposes and everyone went to yeah. it. <laughs> uh-huh. And then, yeah, we, like I said, I have a really great team now. They, um, I have several online employees and some in-person employees Mm-hmm. Um, the business has just really blown up over the last year and our farm's been doing really well. So we've been able to, um, source out some of that as well. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So tell me a little bit about this conference that you're actually hosting that's coming. I think that's next month or am I off it by is, a month? Yeah, it's next month. Okay. It's actually like right a month away. Um, right. so I, six months ago, I went to the women's homestead society conference in Tennessee and, I was so moved by the community that they have built for themselves there. Um, Not just to support each other, like emotionally and, you know, cheerlead for each other, but also, you know, they were talking about someone's cow went down and they were all over there helping each other. And we do have some of that community here in like niche communities, like geographically, but as a whole in this like homestead space with the influencers and the people who are aspiring to learn. Um, We don't have that same type of network out here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we have to do that here. Like we need it. We have a huge homestead community here. I was a realtor for three years here. I know how many wonderful people have moved into this community and just don't know anybody, but want to be a part of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so this was such a wonderful opportunity to bring everybody together. I have some wonderful um, speakers from, um, let's see, one's from Washington, one's from Montana, and one's from Idaho. Um, and they're, you know, going to be speaking on building homestead communities, whole food diets, returning to your roots, building a homestead with your spouse. Um, I'm going to have events here with the kids where I'm going to have some local um, farm families come in and talk about, you know, personal responsibility with livestock with kids. And we're going to have a farm to table dinner and a live band because who doesn't love some dancing at the end of the night? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Wow. And where is that? It's going to be in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. Okay. 
And uh, so it's a little bit that, off the beaten path. There, you, fly, you fly to Seattle and drive for four hours. Is that right? <laughs> Two hours. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I thought nobody's going to want to come to Bonner's Ferry. And then I realized that I drove to Hohenwald, Tennessee. Yep. So. <laughs> which, oddly enough, uh, so our off-grid homestead is in Linden, which uh -huh. is just right down the road from Hohenwald. Like Hohenwald is where okay. our nearest Walmart is. <laughs> okay. So you get it. Like we yeah. have to drive an hour and a half to the closest Walmart. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're but out in the middle of nowhere like we are. We really are. But when I started looking at the people that would be coming to this area, a lot of them, it's, you know, less than a day drive time, or if they're going to fly, they'd fly into Spokane and it's a couple hour drive. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's such an amazing community here. And the beauty, I think, that it's going to be worth every bit of the travel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're doing um, the Midwest uh, Midwest uh, Preparedness Festival, Self-Reliance Festival, and Prepper Camp. And th that's in North Carolina, Kansas. And then uh, Self-Reliance Festival is just like an hour north of us in Tennessee. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's those three events across four weekends. And so... There's going to be a significant amount of driving going on. We're lucky we know some people in the area that are going to one or more of those. And so, like, I'll get the carpool to the further away <laughs> ones and kind of yeah. share some driving responsibilities. So that's good. Oh, yeah. Travel is it's hard on you. But this this was my hustle year. Next year, I might be a little more selective. I don't know that 19 will be on my list, but I'll probably still do about <laughs> 12, probably one a month yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah, that's that's doable. That's especially mm -hmm. when you've got people to kind of step in and help make sure everything's going the way it's supposed to while you're gone. Yeah, and you know, my product is really one that people have to see to understand, so mm -hmm. it's worth it for me to get out there and talk to people. Gotcha. So, how many books have you written? I was going through your website and I was like, "Golly, uh, you you've written a significant number of books to help with with teaching uh, young kids about different concepts, particularly as it relates to homesteading. Yep. So I came up with homestead science, which is basically a way to teach kids about homesteading, get them on board, teach them the character that goes along with it and how to do it. But it also gives them their science with it so that you can mm -hmm. combine what you're doing on your homestead with your homeschool. Um, as an ag major, I was definitely able to add a lot of applied science and mathematics into all of that. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I have oof, six, uh, six textbooks mm -hmm. and then I have nine stories. Uh, plus I've also uh, put together several other small eBooks on, you know, learning how to cook homemade and save money. Um, I know a lot of homemade cooking when you first get started, it's really expensive. So mm -hmm. teaching how to do that. Um, I have a homesteader's guide to relocation which not only does it teach you how to, you know, buy land and stuff like that in a new area, it also has a really wonderful uh, spreadsheet on, or a chart on all the food freedom and homeschooling laws in every state. Oh, wow. And a lot of really great worksheets to fill out when you're looking at homesteads, because um, whether you have always lived rurally, or this is your first time trying to live rural, there's a lot of information that we just don't always have and that realtors aren't going to put out there for you. 
And there are a significant number of things that you don't even know will be a problem for you until after you buy the property, move there and start trying to homestead. Absolutely. <laughs> so at least it gives you like a really good list of what you want to look at and why you want to look at that. Gotcha. And so the homestead science curriculum, is that kind of like tiered or is it is it aimed at a specific age group? I have stuff for preschool. Um upper and lower grade school. And then also I have a junior high, high school book called introduction to homestead science. Um, it is a 300 page textbook with a 200 page workbook. It's very comprehensive. I have a lot of adults that buy it too, because it's just laid out really in that sense that works for people. that are. Yeah. I would imagine that folks that are moving out of the city or the, even the suburbs to the mm -hmm. to more rural settings might benefit from something like that. Uh, you know, it's, Absolutely. I mean, I've got, I've got a bunch of like DIY, you know, carpentry textbooks and things like yeah. that from, from the eighties that, that uh -huh. are useful. So that's kind of the same thing. It's like, Hey, if you're going, if you're moving out, you don't have to be in middle school. You just have to be at a middle school reading level to take advantage. Right? Of <laughs> exactly. And then, um, you know, even as like parents, like I've had so many parents that were ag majors themselves or something that they're like, oh, it was so nice to have an open and go curriculum, mm -hmm. which is where I came from with it is when I wanted to start teaching my kids agriculture, I was so bummed that there was no ag curriculums. And right. so I basically created an ag curriculum that's more focused on small scale farming and self-sufficiency. Wow. Wow. And so you, so you've got the, the homestead science and then you've got something, you've got a homestead history uh, yes. coming up as well. So tell us about that and when that's coming out. Yeah, that I, um, I think it'll be available in right at eight weeks. Um, it'll be on my table at Homesteaders of America in October. Mm -hmm. um, and that is just, it's a full year U.S. history, um, but it's really going to focus on food and ag sociology. So instead of, you know, it's important to know why battles happened. It's important to know the government behind the wars that we went into. And that's great. And, you know, kids get, what, three or four different years of U.S. history throughout their schooling. Right. So why not take one year and really s focus on, like, the K-Packs that fed the guys in World War II or, you know, how ending slavery affected agriculture after the Civil War? Uh, those types of conversations. And then also looking at the convenience that was sold to our grandmothers um, and why we're in the, the food system that we're in now right. and how to, how to actually correct that. I mean, we always heard if you don't learn history that you're going to repeat it, but what were they teaching us? Like, I know that in my everyday life, I use algebra way more than I do um, how a bill is made. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be honest, you know, right. and I mean, there, you need to know that, but that's not in my everyday practice. Whereas we've dealt with how many famines during um, humanity that we don't put a focus on our soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's, I'm super excited about that. That is, that is a really different take on us history, but it's one that's super relevant uh, especially when we're hearing things like, you know, countries aren't exporting certain grains anymore and, you know, there's shortages of this and shortages of that. And mm -hmm. three years ago, we just went through this COVID pandemic where there were a lot of things that people relied on 
that they didn't have stored that all of a sudden they couldn't get and they couldn't find. Or when they did find Absolutely. it, it cost twice as much what they were normally Absolutely. what they were used to, to paying for it. And so, you know, this might not be something that teaches people how to do X, Y and Z. But it, it's, it sounds like a fantastic way to set that foundation of this is why we should do it. You know, so being mm-hmm. being a Tennessean, we talk a lot about the TVA, right? And how the TVA electrified the rural area. And that was part of the, one of the New Deal programs and everything. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. But you're right. People's houses all the time. Hey, you need electricity because you need a refrigerator and you need this and you need that. And you need all these different appliances. And while those appliances become bills and they become crutches, so to yes. speak, and there's nothing wrong with leaning on a crutch when you need to or, or leaning on a mm-hmm. crutch because it makes your life better. But if you've got the awareness to understand, OK, well, you know what? Maybe I do need to know how to dispatch my own pig, how to either either scald it and scrape it or skin it, uh, what what leaf fat is what the different cuts are, how to make lard. You know, I may not yeah. want to do that all the time. I may, may know a farmer that I can buy all that stuff from, yeah. but knowing how to do it so that I have the ability to do it if I need to, that's just a skill that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's something, you know, there's things that we have mastered and then walked away from because, okay, great. Mm-hmm. We know how to do it, but we don't need to do that in everyday life. You know, the my my biggest one is just get the um, resources and learn the skill that doesn't mean that you have to practice every single one of those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know i am really good at baking a sandwich bread but in the summertime when we're busy we are buying bread from the store and i am okay with that but right come winter time right. we everything slows down and we're back to baking bread um i love that i can go buy vinegar from the store but we have a ton of apples. So why don't I learn how to make my own apple cider vinegar? If I enjoy doing it, great. If I don't enjoy doing it, I walk away from it. And if everything were to hit the fan tomorrow, I know how to start making my own vinegar again. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and just going through the process of learning that you may say, Hey, I don't want to do that. But someone else that lives on the homestead, whether it's your husband or whether it's one of the kids Mm -hmm. might say, "Actually, I think that's a really cool process. And, now I want to learn a lot more about aesthetic acid and how it works and why vinegar does what vinegar does. And yeah. maybe that leads to someone learning about canning, you know, and, and uh, so, no, that's, that's, yeah. that's awesome. My daughter makes homemade dog food every week. I could really what make homemade dog food out of um, our scrap meat. Okay. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of hunting and we get scrap meat from the butcher and stuff. And that all goes in one freezer and she pulls out a bag every week or every couple of weeks and she does it in the Instapox. It's easy, but she just dumps all the meat in any extra broth that were like towards the bottom of our jars or whatever. She dumps that in any potatoes, carrots, peas, anything that's starting to be like past where we want to eat it, but it's still fine for the animals. Um, Mm -hmm. We put old yogurt, we put um, eggshells, just all that type of stuff. And then that's a dressing for their dog food because we have five big dogs. And right. so we buy dog food, but then that goes on top of it. And that really helps them in the wintertime, especially our great Pyrenees. Yeah. And I'm sure they're healthier for it. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh man, she's going to be doing a ton today because we brought home two pigs from the butcher last night and realized we didn't have enough room in our freezers. <laughs> Time to start processing. 
Yeah, so we like did a lot of moving things around, but she's got a whole sink full of defrosting meat right now. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. A bunch of, you know, backstrap from two, three, four years ago. And so. Yeah, there's always that. And you're like, oh, yeah. whoops, we didn't eat that whole deer. <laughs> yeah. Or we were going to make jerky out of it and never made it. So, you know, the dogs love it. Why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what else are you doing? So you've got Homestead History coming up. You're doing a uh, you're doing an event next month. You've got the Homestead Science Curriculum, which is a pretty wide range of things. You've got several uh, books and eBooks out there. Am I missing anything? What else that you have that you can offer offer the people? You've got a, a ton of knowledge. Goodness, I don't know. No, um, I want to keep this Homestead Science moving. I want to keep it moving forward because I think a lot of people are really excited about it, and it gives applicable skills to all ages. Mm -hmm. um, I will probably be fo continuing to focus more on the older grades because there just aren't enough resources out there for the older kids um, where there are other homestead resources for the younger kids. I'm still going to provide those to match my model. But, you know, if a family does my homeschool one year, they can do another one another year. I'm currently the only high school level homesteading curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm thinking over the next two years, I'm going to do four to six semester long science courses. So um, like, you know, animal science, plant science, survivalism. Uh, there was another one. I can't think of it now. And Department of Education. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um, one on kind of, I don't even know what I'm going to call it yet, but basically teaching that larger scale farming at the homestead homestead level for the families like ours that have a full pig operation on their farm um, where you do have to kind of meet that somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um, so kind of like commercial homestead. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Or, you know, a lot of people refer to that as a farmstead, right? So homestead is like yeah. more for you and farmstead is you're, per, you're providing mm -hmm. for the community at large. Yeah, exactly. So kind of teaching that, um, not just the small scale, but the larger scale, the business aspect of it. And also some of the other things, you know, the, all the red tape of food safety and regulations. Um, I was a food safety specialist for 10 years. So that's definitely my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and even when you have to make those choices of certain vaccines and medications, you know, I we're in the middle, like I have, you know, when local kids show pigs, I have to vaccinate them. Mm -hmm. that is law for these kids to show these pigs. Um, right. versus, I also personally choose every single pig on our property, unless I have a customer who requests different when they're weaned, they are wormed. Um, all animals have mm -hmm. a worm load. It's just how it is. It's about how healthy you keep that animal to keep that worm load under control and piglets when they're weaned or when they leave the farm, their immune systems tank. And that's when they can go down really fast from worms. And so that's the right. only point where my animals are ever wormed. After that, if they live out their life on my farm, whether that is, you know, for eight months until they're butchered or for eight years while they are sows, they are not wormed again after that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just there's... making those choices and why. Right. No, that's brilliant because you, and you could also talk about why the commercial uh, industry just pumps them full of that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. if your animals are being treated right and they're living on, on a farm 
and not on a slab of concrete, then a little bit of preventative care along with a lot of healthy lifestyle uh, will take care of them versus, you know, in a commercial space where they're just getting bombarded with stuff all the time where, you know, they're, they're getting wormer in their food and they're getting antibiotics in their water. Yeah. You know, it's exactly. Um, I mean, my animals, they get diatomaceous earth, they get pumpkins. I mean, that's how I'm controlling my worm load on top of just keeping them healthy. Um, yeah, antibiotics, they don't get it unless it's warranted. Um, you know, working in that commercial space, I saw a lot of organic farmers do very inhumane things to animals to try to stay inside that organic window. Right, right. Yeah, there's the thing that's right for the stamp. And then there's the mm -hmm. thing that's right for the animal. And those two things aren't always the same thing. Yeah, I saw a lot of commercial farms, they would have an organic herd, and then they'd have a natural herd. So if they had to treat an animal with a vaccine, they can move them over to their natural herd. And then there's actually law, you know, regulations where like a cow, even if she's had vaccines or something, if she's on organic feed and organic stuff for the last three months of her pregnancy, her calf can be organic. So there's ways to do it without, you know, treating a gaping wound with garlic. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that's why I said I really toe the line. And I think that that's necessary for even very educated, um, well-meaning homesteaders to understand, especially when they want to go into more commercial markets. Right. Right. Well, Cody, we're coming right up on an hour here. Um, I really appreciate everything that you came on and shared with us today. Uh, tell us about your website. Tell us where to find you on the socials. Tell everyone where to, where to find you. And any other events that you're going to be speaking at this year, in addition to the one that you're hosting next month? Definitely. So I'm going to be my home. Ah, my website is thehomesteadeducation.com. You have to add that the in there. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I have my own podcast called The Homestead Education. I really just focus on teaching you the questions you don't know to ask. And I will be at Homesteaders of America as a vendor and as a, as a sponsor. And then I will be at Indiana Homesteading Conference um, as a vendor sponsor and speaker. I will mm -hmm. be speaking there. I'm very excited for that when I get to speak on a panel with Sean and Beth Doherty and Pork Rind. I'm just very excited for that one. Oh, and I forgot about Ozarks Homesteading. That's next week. So I don't know at what point this will be going out, but I'll be speaking there as well. Okay. Uh, what, what dates are the one? This will actually be going out on the 18th. So tomorrow. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah. Um, Where is the Ozarks oh, conference? That is in Southern Missouri um, in Marshville. Um, so okay. that'll be the 24th and 25th. I think it's a Friday and Saturday. Um, and yeah, I'll be speaking there and have a booth and I'm really excited. I have so many friends I'm going to be seeing there. I think it's just going to be a wonderful time. And hopefully great, this Idaho great. bill doesn't know. Hopefully the Idaho what? <laughs> Hopefully this Idaho girl doesn't melt. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, yeah, I think we're past the super heat, but it's still definitely summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just did a week in no. Oh yeah. Week in Texas where it was like 111 while we were there. So maybe the Ozarks will be nice. Yes. No, they'll def definitely be nice compared to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Well, Thanks everyone for joining us today and, and thanks Cody for coming and stuff as well. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.